Hi, everyone. I'm JJ Hornblast. Welcome to this episode of The Buzz from Bank Automation News, where we chart the future of banking automation technology. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in the industry for May 14, 2014. Uh, first, we thank our advertisers, uh, Aileron, MX, and NARMI for their support. So thank you to them. And so pleased to be joined by Lorraine Lawson and Jesper Kalra of the Bank Automation News editorial team. Hello to both of you. Uh, first, some general technology news, Foxconn reported uh, earnings last quarter of $1 billion on revenue of $48 billion. And this revenue number was up 45% on a year over year basis. Um, although it added that the global supply crunch uh, will continue to worsen this quarter, meaning chip supply. Coinbase report, reported Q1 earnings, uh, revenue, excuse me, of $1.8 billion, and that's up 207% on a quarter-over-quarter -quarter basis. Monthly transacting users at Coinbase uh, hit $6.1 million, and that was up $2.8 million in the quarter alone. And uh, the company also announced, importantly, that it was going to list Dogecoin in six to eight weeks. Lorraine and Jasper, take notice. And along those lines, there's new data that has surfaced that, uh, in, that uh, indicates 46 million consumers plan to use cryptocurrency to pay merchants. I assume that um, it pred is predicated on the cryptocurrency values remaining at their current levels and not declining. In banking automation industry news, uh, the technology sector was certainly racked up uh, in news from Colonial Pipeline uh, that it uh, was the subject of a ransomware attack. Uh, that shut down uh, its uh, gas pipeline on the east coast of the United States, along the east coast of the United States. Uh, Jaspreet, let's start by giving some uh, some background on that um, on that ransomware attack, and then what are the implications for financial institutions? Right. So the first reports that emerged about the Colonial Pipeline being hit was late on Friday evening when we realized that Colonial had to shut down operations because it couldn't access some of its data repositories that help run the pipeline. Then what sort of started rippling off into the rest of the week was playing out what happens when any sort of infrastructure facility or any other service provider gets hit with a cyber attack. At the one end, you have disruption of services, but on the other end, everyone starts thinking about cybersecurity a lot more in that week, and which is exactly what happened with other institutions as well. Now, the group that attacked the Colonial Gas Pipeline called DocSide has also in the past attacked financial institutions and insurance carriers. So the data that was released by a dark web intelligence platform called DocTracer revealed that Oak Valley Community Bank was hit in February as well. 
while they didn't respond to our request for a comment on this, but it clearly shows how software vulnerabilities, especially in an industry that is so data-driven and relies so much upon you know, just records to make its decisions, restricting that access to data can A, have a reputational hit on any institution, and secondly, disrupt services for a continued period of time. And the sort of across-the-board inputs that I heard from sources on how to prevent or how to sort of guard against this is rigorous testing and making sure that all your software is patched. Those are the two basic things because in the past we've had massive hacks just because a VPN application hadn't been updated or patched and still had vulnerabilities. So I think cybersecurity yet again is at the center of attention yet again. And as we saw with the White House as well, Joe Biden signed an executive order just to sort of further the conversation around these issues as well and how can the United States infrastructure facilities as well as private cybersecurity facilities can be better guarded against these attacks that have been growing in number over, over the past couple of years and have especially accelerated during the pandemic. You mentioned that uh, financial institutions have been attacked and have vulnerabilities. Is there a sense for the scope of that? Well, I mean, it depends from institution to institution, it depends on how much they invest in their cybersecurity facilities as well. But a lot of attack vectors also arise out of third party vendors. Say you're using a vendor to do your accounts receivable, or you're using a vendor to do some of your digital platform stuff. And if they have a vulnerability that's not been fixed, someone can gain access to your platforms just through that maze of connections. Right. And and I think what sort of stands out with respect to ransomware incidents especially is that a lot of them are also never reported because companies want to keep it on the down low. They want to handle their own sort of problems themselves. And in a high trust business and a high reliance business like banking, hitting any trust can lead to consumer attrition. So a bunch of factors come into play when companies deal with these issues. In the case that you cited, is there... Um... Is it believed that they paid the ransom? There are no details on whether they paid the ransom or not because Oak Valley or other, other insurance carriers that could get got hit have not made any statements on the possibility of an attack or whether they were even attacked. The information came through a third party source which discovered that data from these institutions had been leaked on the dark web. Now, how much data? Was it all the data that was stolen? Those are still things that are open for looking into. Right, right. Uh, before we get to our next topic, Lorraine, did you want to add anything on the uh, on this? Yeah, you know, the, we've heard this before about the patching and, and keeping up with certificates, and that can be automated and outsourced, actually. So there were two small banks back in March that we reported on who had outsourced it to SEI, which was automating some of that work. So there really isn't an excuse for for banks to be vulnerable in this way. Um, even small banks can, you know, get someone to help them handle that. Okay, good point. Uh, we also had news in the industry about some new robotic process automation use cases that banks are um, uh, deploying. Uh, Lorraine, tell us about some of those and, um, and uh, how pervasive are these are these new initiatives? Well, it's interesting. They're starting to combine AI with robotic process automation, and that's that means that there's more things they're capable of doing when it comes to automation. Um, 
one way that banks are automating more or a new directions are automating in is loan collections. And there are three ways in which they automate that. First of all, coupling it with AI to predict the percentage of clients uh, and which clients specifically are, would be at risk of default. So to predict them earlier before they default. They're using RPA to reach out to customers to manage repayment or restructure, offer them restructuring options before a loan goes into forbearance. And finally, they're leveraging automation technology um, to give call center people all that information when a customer calls up. So that's one way in which they're automating uh, in new ways. They're also seeing more, uh, the experts I talked to, we're also seeing more automation in fraud prevention uh, to reduce the false positives, which is a major concern for compliance officers. And one reason we're starting to see that sort of automation is that it's, I mean, this is probably early days for it, um, but is that vendors are starting to embed machine learning models for fraud detection and anti-money laundering into their products. Um, so I have a, in Gar Gartner in November had predicted that we would see use cases evolve based on three trends, our three enhancement star PA platforms, embedded machine learning models, integration of process discovery and process mining, which we have covered, and cloud delivery. Mm -hmm. The the fraud uh, the fraud applications is this kind of what you were talking about in terms of you know patching automation or does it go is this in other directions? As I understand, it, this is more about detecting uh, transactions that may be fraudulent rather than patching a secure you know an IT infrastructure. Right. Um, and how how pervasive are some of these new you know pathways that that uh, banks are taking? Do you have a sense for you know the degree to which this is catching on? I do not. Uh, I would say that we're you know it's it's just a new use case they're seeing, so it's starting to see it. Probably not widespread adoption yet. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, Thank you to both of you. Uh, what do we have uh, planned on the site for next week? Well, we have uh, a look at the nonprofit Digital Dollar Project has a pilot project program to explore designs and uses of US central bank digital currency. And we'll also be talking about how to measure bot success. Okay, good. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Please follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And uh, of course, uh, visit us at bankautomationnews.com. Uh, we appreciate you uh, listening in on our podcast and we'll see you next time. Thanks.